the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at nissan.ie. This week we're looking at diabetes, how to treat it, how possibly to prevent getting it and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Margaret Griffin, consultant endocrinologist at the Beacon Hospital. Uh, Margaret, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, uh, let's uh, first of all differentiate between uh, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. What, 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 what is the difference between them? Well, I suppose the simplest way of thinking about it is that in type 1 diabetes, there's usually an absolute deficiency in insulin. So the patient doesn't have insulin and therefore the way we treat it is by giving insulin. Whereas in type 2 diabetes, there is insulin there, but it's not working properly. So the patient is resistant to the action of the insulin and then their blood sugars rise because of that. Okay, well, let, let's split them down the middle then. We'll talk about type 1 first for, for a moment. Why would someone be utterly deficient in insulin? Well, we don't understand what is really the... Uh, underlying cause of it we do know that it is an autoimmune condition so the body launches an attack on itself and in this case it's the pancreas that becomes damaged so in the damaging of the pancreas the cells that produce insulin are no longer able to function so then the deficiency in insulin will result in a rising blood sugar level and it's the rising blood sugar that causes the patient to become symptomatic then. And symptomatic means what? Well, the common symptoms, we talk about the four T's when we talk about um, type 1 diabetes and indeed type 2, but they're more exaggerated in type 1. So feeling tired, feeling thirsty, going to the toilet very frequently. So an increase in frequency of urination, maybe getting up at night to pass water and usually being thin, you're losing weight. So they're the, the four T's, which are the kind of characteristic symptoms of uh, acute onset of high blood sugar levels. And, and at what point in your life do people generally have this onset? Can it happen at any stage? Or, or, you know, does it does it generally happen around the same age? What is it? It's a great question, Karen. So we, we traditionally think of type 1 as something that comes on in younger people and type 2 is something that comes on in older people. That same kind of, you know, when you talk about dividing them both up. But type 1 can actually come on at any stage of your life. And we know that approximately 10% of patients that are initially considered to be type 2 because they're older and maybe a little bit heavier are actually type 1 or All what right. we call a LADA, a latent autoimmune diabetes of adulthood. So it is important to remember that type 1 can come on at any age, but we're more used to thinking about it in our paediatric population, our young teens, our early 20s. Okay, well, We can see it right across the spectrum of age. Uh, we'll, we'll talk then more about type 2 in just a moment, but, but in terms of type 1, lots of people listening, they might be familiar with you know the, the insulin injections and mm-hmm. either either someone themselves someone in their family they might be at an airport and see them kind of running it through the scanner and explaining to, to, to security what they are uh, the, the technology is beginning to replace the injection is that right Oh, indeed. And our technology has improved, you know, leaps and bounds, which has really impacted both on the level of control that patients can achieve, but much more so it's impacted on the quality of life. So technology has really expanded here um, for 
for type ones pump. Firstly, I mean, you know, when I started off, patients were drawing up insulin and syringes from a little vial that they kept in their fridge. Yeah. And then we moved on to the insulin pen devices, which a lot of patients are still using. The pens themselves have become much more user friendly. It's literally like a click of a pen when you're giving your insulin. The needle needle sizes are smaller and less traumatic for the patient. And now we're moving on more and more to using insulin pumps. Yes. So the pump is giving a continuous drip feed of the insulin and the patient would wear it on them. It's connected with a very fine piece of tubing. So they're getting insulin on a continuous basis. And many patients now will not only use a pump, but with their pump, they'll use a continuous sensor. And the really cool thing about the technology is that the sensor, which is continuously measuring the blood sugar, Mm can talk to the pump. So if the blood sugar is going too low, it can tell the pump to switch off and protect the patient from low blood sugars or what we call hypos, which, you know, they are really, you know, uh, they are a very, very troublesome part of uh, diabetes care when insulin is involved. It can Mm. be very horrible for patients to experience, very frightening, frightening for family members. So just protect and reduce the risk of hypo has been a huge transition in our care. Yeah. So the continuous glucose monitoring is fantastic in that regard. Okay, well, let's talk then about, about type 2. Uh, you, you mentioned type 2. The body is producing insulin, but it's, uh, I'm not sure how you described it again, it's resistant to um, uh, to the insulin it produces. Maybe I'm kind of butchering your words there, but essentially no, what is no, happening and why? <laughs> so for various reasons, partially genetic and partially environmental. The insulin is there, but insulin is a messenger. So it's made in the pancreas and it goes out into the body. And when it delivers its message, it might knock on the door very gently or it might give a good old rap on the door. And if it's only knocking very gently on the door, you're not going to get a good downstream effect from the insulin. So that's the kind of where the insulin is present but not working very well. And what we want is that when the insulin knocks on the cell, it gets a really good response and the cell rapidly kind of responds and brings the blood sh- the sugar in and deals with what we have just eaten. So the, that's what we say when we talk about a patient being insulin resistant. It is there but they're not they're not responding very well to it and in result the blood sugar starts to rise. So it's not an insulin deficiency as we see in type mm. 1 but it's a resistance to the proper functioning and, of it. And you mentioned this can be environmental. If it's environmental, then can it be reversed or cured? Um, to use the word reverse or cured is, can, can be a little bit misleading. It can be managed. Right. And we can certainly see with patients that if they um, lose weight or if they increase their exercise levels and their insulin begins to work much more efficiently, their blood sugars will normalize. To say you're cured runs the risk that people will regress. So yeah. maybe, you know, we're all, you know, we're all human. So it's probably better to say that we can put diabetes into remission with really good, um, you know, lifestyle factors, lifestyle modifications. And it's really important that we always remember that when we're dealing with type 2 diabetes, that lifestyle medicine is a really, really important part of the management of it. Well, listen, Margaret, we appreciate your time and all that information. Lots of it, hugely useful information. I didn't know most of it. Dr. Margaret Griffin, consultant endocrinologist at the Beacon Hospital. (laughs) 